Welcome back into the Tide Talk Podcast, a part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stacey Blackwood, and today we are joined by Jimmy Stein of Locked On Bama and QB Country. Jimmy, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Appreciate you having me on, Stacey. Absolutely. Well, we're going to dive into some album of football talk and some kind of college football talk in general here in a minute. But first, I got to tell you about our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline.ag is the only place you should you should be going to place your bets. I don't care if it's parlays, uh, prop bets, any kind of bets you want to place, do that at BetOnline.ag. They also, ha- also have an online casino that's always open. So make sure you head on over to BetOnline.ag and place your bets there. BetOnline.ag, your sports online sports book experts. All right, speaking of experts, we have an expert with us today, Jimmy Stein. Uh, we're certainly glad to have him on from Locked On Bama. I don't, I know everybody listens to Locked On Bama. I always say that that we have the second best Alabama podcast behind the guys at Locked On Bama. So we're certainly thrilled to have you on, Jimmy. And I just want to start the conversation by, uh, you know, we, we finished up spring practice, so we're counting down the days. To, to fall camp and the, and the season starting this fall. And I know you guys at Locked On are doing the, the roster countdown. Uh, just uh, guys that you've done so far on the countdown, who are you really looking at to, to kind of make an, a big impact on the team this fall? You know, in terms of the guys uh, that we've done in the countdown, I, th- I think the last one I did uh, yesterday, I recorded uh, 79. So we, we've kind of done 99 through 79 so far. We started – when it was literally 99 days till uh, till the we count down to the start of fall practice, the start of fall camp, because the way we look at it is once you get to the start of fall camp, I mean, then, then it's football season. I mean, Absolutely. it's football. There's preseason NFL games to watch. Uh, you know, there's practice reports to read about. This will be more of a normal year for that. So we count down to the start of fall camp and not the start of the season. So 79 Chris Owens was the last one we did. But, you know, one of the more interesting ones was uh, Cameron Latu. Uh, at 81, you know, he wears number 81. So uh, to me, Latu was a big surprise this spring. Always felt he would be a good player and he would help us once he really learned the position. But I kind of imagined him as helping us in terms of, of just a blocker, almost like we use Major Tennyson now. I, I just thought he would be, you know, come in as a second tight end or third tight end on the goal line or just whenever we required maybe a fullback, he would come in and block. I never imagined he would develop into this true pass receiving threat. Uh, he was the only player this spring that caught a touchdown in all three scrimmages. Uh, if you'd have told me that before the spring, I never would have believed it. So I, I think Latu's development as a pass catcher was one of the stories of the spring. And uh, when you have a new coordinator that comes from the NFL and a, new, a brand new quarterback who's young, and now we're giving him two tight ends to throw to. I think it sort of simplifies a lot of the throws for Bryce. There's some questions about, you know, how good we are at wide receiver. Uh, I think it's just a great year to have two tight ends that you use in the passing game. So uh, I, I predicted uh, when we did that show that this year's tight ends at Alabama would catch more balls than than any tight end group in Alabama history. It's kind of a bold prediction, but – I think it's just very possible between Billingsley and Latu and maybe a couple of catches for uh, Tennyson or Robbie Oost, who I think will play some this fall. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think Latu has been one of the more interesting guys so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited about Latu. And you, you talked about Bill O'Brien coming in as the offensive coordinator. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a Miami Hurricane podcast, and he was, going, he was asking me about the difference between Sarkeesian and Bill O'Brien. And I, that's what I pointed to was the tight end and the use of the tight ends. 
And I really believe, I'm like you, that the tight end is going to be a very important position for for Bill O'Brien and Bryce Young, like you mentioned, you know, fresh new quarterback, uh, several new offensive linemen, a new running back, a couple new wide receivers. So that security blanket at tight end is going to be huge for Bryce Young. And, and we know what Bill O'Brien can do there using the tight ends with a history with Rob, Rob Gronkowski and, and great NFL tight ends. So uh, really excited to see how that that kind of works out this fall. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's it feels like it's good timing yeah. to have you know for the first time in, in a long time having two tight ends that are significant threats. Uh, it just simplifies things for Bryce. I mean, you want to do a, a big favor for a young quarterback who hasn't played, give him two big targets. I mean, yeah. a lot too play big guys. You know, they're going to be a little harder to miss out there uh, with the routes that tight ends run. Bryce is good at getting things out quickly. Uh, and we can move those guys around. Billingsley and Latu are both, you know, athletic enough to where you can move them around. They won't just line up at the Y position, you know, just right outside the tackle. They'll line up, you know, in the slot, in the backfield, and kind of all over. So I, I see that as being a, a big a big deal. Now, the last guy that we talked about on the player countdown that's also interesting to me is Chris Owens, just simply because, you know, the offensive line is a bit of a question mark losing the guys that, that we lost to the NFL. Uh, but Chris Owens, he's been around so long. I almost surprised myself when I, was, I look back at Chris's career. He signed in the same recruiting class as Jalen Hurts and Josh Jacobs. That's crazy. I mean, that is. I mean, it's <laughs> like, well, duh, of course he did. But but when you think of, I mean, Jalen and Josh Jacobs now feel like NFL veterans. Right. Yeah. And, and Chris Owens still at Alabama. So if you you know, he's not landing, let's be honest. I mean, he's not landing. It, it will be a step back at center. No one will discuss Chris Owens as a first-round pick next April. I mean, now he might play in the NFL and he might be drafted, but not where Landon was. So it'll be a step back. But if you're if you have a new center, how about one that's older and a veteran that's played a lot and that has the intangibles Chris has? He's one of the smarter kids on the whole team. He's graduated. He's played all three positions, center, guard, and tackle. He's that coach on the field, and he's one of the better leaders on the team. So I think having Chris, I think he's more invaluable than great, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, and I think he should be everyone's favorite. I mean, I, I think as everyone watches more player interviews with the season coming up and you see Chris interviewed and and, and follow him on Twitter, uh, Chris is is one of the great guys on the team. Uh, he'll be the leader up front. And while maybe he won't be first team all SEC, or maybe he will, but even if he's not, uh, having a veteran presence at center, I think is also invaluable with so many new pieces on the offense. Absolutely. I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Kind of keeping this, this going, uh, aside from the countdown that you've been doing on Locked on Bama, uh, what are some position groups or maybe just some individual players that you're kind of going to be looking out for this fall as we head into uh, the fall camp and then the season starting? Yeah, I think one position group that's super interesting is running back. And this is why um, I was having this discussion this morning with one of the beat writers, actually. Um, you know, talking about what are the best position groups on the team. And you mentioned running back. And it's, it's interesting to me. I do think it's one of the better rooms on the team. I mean, there's seven scholarship running backs, uh, and several of them are five-star types like Trey Sanders and, and, and even Kamar Wheaton. Uh, 
and, and we're all excited about what we saw from Jason McClellan last year and Roydell Williams this spring. And of course, Trey Sanders was a superstar recruit, but uh, none of them are the presumed starter. I mean, the presumed starter is Brian Robinson, who has rushed for over a thousand yards in his career at Alabama. Uh, who's an older kid who works hard, who will be a leader, maybe more by example than vocally. But B-Rob is a, is a leader on the team. He's a good player. He's going to get a shot at playing in the NFL. But it's kind of weird to say that that position group is the second best position group on the team behind the linebackers. But it might be. It might be. It's just kind of hard to latch on to that because what we've seen from Brian Robinson so far, Stacey, in my, my opinion, Brian has been good. And some of his plays have even been very good, but it's based on what we've seen from Brian so far, it's another step back on offense. He's not Najee Harris. We have not seen Brian Robinson play like Najee played or produce like Najee produced. So I'm not sure where to rank the running backs in terms of a unit on the team, because while I love the depth and I love some of these younger guys, and I can't wait to see more of them, uh, with Brian still being the starter and Trey Sanders' injury situation, it's kind of hard ranking the running – I guess I should say ranking the running backs that high is more of a projection or a hope than a fact because the fact is Brian Robinson returns. He is a presumed starter. He has rushed for 1,000 yards. But it's a stretch to say that Brian has been great. I would just say that Brian's been good. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. I look at the running back room and then wa- the wide receiver room. Uh, the last few years, we've had superstars at those positions, and along with depth. This year, we have a lot of depth, but we may not have that superstar guy in the backfield or out wide. Now, I do think Mechie has the potential to be a superstar, and, you know, he had nearly 1,000 yards receiving last year. But we, we haven't had that superstar performance yet from any of those guys in the running back room. So it kind of makes it hard to, uh, to, to list that as, you know, I mean, it is a strength of the team just, just because of the depth and the talent that we know those guys have. But they just hadn't, you know, matched that with production yet. And mostly it's because Najee Harris was there. So, and he, he, car- he carried most of the workload and, and rightfully so, so. I mean, he was a first round pick in the draft. So we know how talented of a guy he is. And, and hopefully B Rob can kind of keep the momentum that he had, you know, late in that Ohio State game. He, he really finished that game strong for Alabama late in that fourth quarter. And I'm, I'm, I know Ohio State was kind of worn down on defense, but B-Rob finished that game really strong, and I'm hoping he can kind of carry that momentum into his senior year. And I'm really excited about the running back room and the potential that they have, much like you. And uh, you mentioned the offensive line a little bit ago, and, uh, you know, Chris Owens being back is huge, Evan Neal being back is huge, and how they fill in the gaps, you know, with the with – the, uh, departures of Leatherwood and Brown and Dickerson is going to be interesting. And we know the talent is there uh, among the guys that are in that offensive line group, but it's more about, you know, chemistry and continuity and how they find the right five guys, just the best five guys. And, you know, Saban recruits guys that can play guard and tackle. We saw Evan Neal start his career at guard. Now he's at, he was at right tackle. We're assuming he's going to be at left tackle this year. So uh, how do you see that offensive line kind of, uh, meshing out as we as we inch closer to the season. Yeah, yeah, you said it. Uh, it's it's the remaining spots. I mean, I think we we know what we've got. Evan Neal's a superstar. Yep. Uh, Chris Owens is solid. Emil Echior is solid. That's three. But the other two spots are wide open. 
And I think they will determine what kind of offensive line we have. If we manage to fill those spots with guys that played on all-star level, then once again, we have one of the great offensive lines in all of college football. But if, if we can't settle on guys, if it becomes musical chairs or a revolving door of trying to find two, or if we play a freshman because they're talented, but they're not ready or an older kid who maybe is ready, but he's not super talented. Uh, it's going to be those two spots uh, with two spots. If, if, Hey, look, if you put an average or bad kids in those spots, the offensive line's bad. It only takes one guy on the offensive line to get beat. And then the, the, the play goes wrong. Right. So it's going to be, it's going to be about finding those two, two new guys. And uh, you know, again, uh, being honest, you know, I think they, there was a hope that like Evan Neal and Jonah Williams, that we would have freshmen show up and, and they show up starters. I mean, Jonah and Evan Neal, they showed up starters. And I think there was a hope that that would be the case with maybe a Tommy Brockermeyer or a JC Latham or even a Terrence Ferguson. And the fact of the matter is after 15 practices, and that's all there's been is 15 mm-hmm. practices. They haven't won the starting spot. As a matter of fact, none of them moved Kendall Randolph or Tommy Brown out of the lineup. Uh, so I, I think it's crazy to call them disappointing. You don't even know what you got yet with those guys. But it's also true that they didn't come in like Jonah Williams and Evan Neal did either, who proved after one or two practices they were ready to start in the SEC. So let's see how far Brockermeyer and Latham come over the, over the summer and, uh, and maybe further development from Javion Cohen and Damian George, who've been around a little longer. Uh, and I think out of all of those guys, they'll end up finding two. But like you, you mentioned chemistry, I, I don't think it's ideal that we settle on the starting five, you know, two days before we play Miami. Um, it would be nice to settle on those five and sort of build that chemistry with those five guys through camp. But it's certainly an interesting thing to watch. And, and I'll be honest, on A-Day and, and scrimmages, um, I felt the offensive line this spring was was pretty bad. Not not even not what it was last year, but pretty bad. Now there's a few reasons for that. We had injuries. We had Ekior out. Other guys were hurt. Evan Neal played hurt. Uh, you know during some of the spring, and they're blocking maybe the best pass rushing group in, in all of college football. And Will Anderson and Chris Allen and Chris Braswell and Drew Sanders. So you know the deck was kind of stacked against the offensive line this spring. So there's no reason to panic. But based on what we saw this spring, I don't see how you come out of it without saying the offensive line is the number one question mark Absolutely. on the team. Yeah, you know it's it's kind of a lot of a lot like a couple of years ago when Alabama opened up against Duke, and we were really shuffling that offensive line, especially early in that game. And and you could kind of see some of the problems that that can cause as as Alabama had a slow start there in that game against Duke, and uh, we we could kind of see something similar to that against Miami this year if they haven't settled in on guys. Uh, you know, on the final two spots along the offensive line. Real quick, I do want to talk a little bit about the defense before we talk about, uh, you know, some of the games that, that start the season this year. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned Will Anderson and Christopher Allen, who I think are probably the, the best, you know, one-two punch, I guess you could say, as, as rush defenders. 
there on the edge. Uh, they're great pass rushers. Uh, on the inside, you have guys like Tim Smith who's starting to come around. And, of course, we know DJ Dale, Justin Aboigby, Byron Young, LeBron Ray, a lot of depth along the defensive line. Maybe not that one superstar guy. I think Tim Smith has a chance to be that superstar guy. But there's a lot of depth there. Of course, we know we have Christian Harris and now Henry uh, – Toto, to, to, however you say his last name, you say it much better than me. Uh, a lot of, lot of, lot of talented guys on that defense. Uh, I, I'm not sure that we've had this much talent since what was it, 2017 on, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, a lot of talent back there. I, I, I agree. I think it's the best defensive personnel we've had in a few seasons. Maybe since that that 2017 group was actually pretty good, and uh, even 2018. They had a couple of bad games, but but they they weren't terrible over the course of the season. But I think this could be the best group, you know. And and what I like about it, you point out the depth is really good uh, on the front seven and even at safety. Uh, depth is everywhere, and that gives Pete Golding a lot of of guys to choose from. Also means the situational packages might be pretty good because they have so many guys that they can plug into spots. Um, I'll, the linebacking core is just as good as it's ever been at Alabama, which is saying a lot. That's like saying, hey, this is one of the great Celtic teams of all time in the NBA. I mean, when Alabama's linebacking unit is being talked about as maybe the best of, of all time at Alabama, that's that's a heck of a lot to say. But I, I, I believe that it is because, I mean, I see Will and Christian Harris and Henry as, as all as high, you know, high NFL draft picks and Chris Allen is a guy that could move himself into that conversation too. And then there's depth on top of it. I've said before that just remove those four starters and, and go out there with the unit of, of Sanders and Braswell outside with, with, with Jalen Moody and Shane Lee inside. <laughs> That's not the best unit in the SEC, but it would probably be the second or third or fourth best unit in the SEC. And, and none of those guys are even starters. So uh, it's crazy how good Alabama is at linebacker. And the depth on the defensive line is fantastic. As you said, it would be nice if someone stepped up like a Tim Smith and became a big star. But outside of having star players, the best thing you can have up front is waves of first-team players. And there's easily six deep, probably eight or nine deep, of guys that will play with the first team, You know, guys that will play in the first quarter of the first game, as many as eight or nine. So that's incredible. There's some star power in the secondary and Job and Malachi and Jordan Battle. I think these guys are sort of proven stars, you know, at this level. So, you know, I, the way I look at it personnel-wise, I think there's been is, injury issues and depth issues, Stacey, the last two or three years. This is a real true test for Pete Golding. I mean, I hate putting it all on Pete like that, but it's like, hey, with this personnel, Pete, we need to be – really good. We need yeah. to be really good on defense. Maybe not 2011 good. Maybe it's unrealistic to think we can give up eight points a week like the 2011 group did, but why can't we be the best defense in the SEC with this group? And and I, and I think that's on uh, Pete. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, th this year, I, to me, I hate to use the word excuses, but in, in the past couple of years, he's had some some excuses or some reasons why the defense has not performed to to the album of standard. But th but this year, with the personnel that they have, uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to have those those excuses anymore. Well, I, I'm really excited about the season, and uh, it's it's actually getting here a lot quicker than what people think. Uh, how many days are we till till fall practice starts? 
today as we record this on uh, on Tuesday, uh, May 25th, it is 72 days wow. until practice starts. So, yeah, it's getting here. It's yeah, getting here a little really over two months then. I mean, it's, it's quick. It'll be here in a hurry. Yeah, right, and then so- 30 days from that game start uh, in terms of Alabama. So, Alabama – is just 102, uh, well, yeah, 104 days wow. from uh, from the first game. So, uh, yeah, that's just basically a little over three months. Yeah. Well, we're excited about that. And uh, I, w- I do want to talk about, you know, last week ABC and ESPN released their schedule for the first couple weekends there. And, wow, at those those matchups. Of course, Alabama plays Miami and Atlanta there on, on September 4th. But, but the biggest game of that day – you know, outside of us Alabama fans is the Clemson and Georgia game in Charlotte. Uh, just that game, my goodness. I mean, that's that's a playoff matchup right there. Uh, uh, what do you – I know it's way out there, but what are you kind of expecting out of that game? It Well, I think it's the best matchup in college football this season. I think it's sort of the biggest game of the season uh, myself. Um, I'm actually higher on Georgia than most Alabama fans are. I think Georgia – is really good. I think it'll be really strange though if uh, DJ Uwangalele if he starts out his career zero and two as a starter, that will feel really strange because that kid is he's exceptionally gifted. He's really good, uh, but he lost his only start against Notre Dame at South Bend, and uh, and now now he could be <laughs> losing his second start against Rye. Today, I would pick Georgia to win, but mostly because of JT Daniels' experience over DJ's. And uh, I really like what Georgia returns on defense. Um, I, I would sort of like Georgia to win, but a couple points about that game. Number one, if you win the game, it, it will feel, Stacy like the winner has punched their ticket to the playoff. And I would agree that whoever wins that game has bought themselves margin for error. You could really screw up, and, and Georgia could beat Clemson and then lose to Missouri and still get in the playoff because that, that win over Clemson could mean so much and vice versa. Clemson could win over Georgia and then lose to Virginia tech or North Carolina and, and still get in. Uh, and it will also feel like the loser didn't play themselves out. Now the loser will just lose margin for error. The loser won't be out of the playoff at all. And it's sort of my point. I know we're not going to you know spend a lot of time on this, <laughs> nor do I like spend a lot of time on it, but I think this Georgia Clemson game is a good reason why I'm, I'm not a big fan of expanding the playoff. Uh, I, I like uh, keeping amen. the play. And, and this is, this is why as much as I'm looking forward to that game and I love that game, the loser of the game is not out of it. And I think it will really stink for college football. If we have a handful of games that it really doesn't matter if you lose because you're still going to get in. And while Georgia Clemson is probably the best matchup of the year, the honest, Truth is the loser of that game is not out of it. Loser of the game is still even somewhat likely to get in. Mm-hmm. And that's not good for college football, in my opinion. Uh, I, I want each game during the regular season to matter a lot. And, yes, with four teams, it does matter. Georgia Clemson this year does matter. But if we had eight teams or, God forbid, 16, Stacy, it, it, it would not matter at all who won or lost right. that Georgia Clemson game in week one. And that's – that's the main reason um, against expanding the playoffs, though it is going to happen. There's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. I was I was on a, on a Georgia podcast last week, and that was really the main main topic was the expansion. And I I said we're we're going to water down the regular season so much that 
you know, teams could lose two, maybe even three games in the right conference and against the right opponent and still make the playoff. Do we really want that? I mean, is that is that really something that we want? So uh, it's uh, I, I'm with you. The, the Clemson Georgia game matters because it's it's still important on their postseason hopes and, and desires. So uh, expanding the playoff, like you said, it's going to happen anyways. But I'm I'm not really in favor of it. Uh, then we move to the next weekend. A, a big, another SEC team here, Texas at Arkansas. Steve Sarkeesian coming to play Arkansas. That's a that's a pretty big game. Uh, I, you know, to me, I'm not sure how fast Sark can turn things around there at Texas, but the way Sam Pittman had Arkansas playing last year, I, I would like Ar- Arkansas's chances in that game. Yeah, it's. I think it's fair to say that uh, two coaches in the SEC last year that squeezed the most potential out of their lineups all year were Saban at Alabama because you couldn't do any better than what Saban did with Alabama's roster. But at the same time, I think Sam Pittman, he made Arkansas as good as they could possibly have been. And, uh, and they'll, they'll be even more talented this year with probably KJ Jefferson, a quarterback who's a gifted kid and, and Trey Burks at wide receiver who's as good as any wide receiver in, in college football. Um, yeah, I think it's a tough matchup for, Texas, because Sark isn't just rebuilding the roster. He, to me, he's sort of rebuilding the culture. Uh, I was reminded watching uh, – I watched the Alabama-Missouri game a couple weeks ago, and when I did, they, they cut away to the Texas-Texas Tech game that was going on that went to overtime because it was 56-56. to 56. And while that might have entertained a lot of fans, if I was a Texas fan watching my team give up 56 points to Texas Tech, I would have – thrown up all over the place. I just would have thrown up for four quarters. You have to change the culture when you're giving up 56 to a pretty average football team. Now, I know Texas Tech is explosive offensively, but they're only explosive offensively because they did that against Texas and the rest of the Big 12. Texas Tech would not score 56 in a single game if they played in the SEC or an SEC schedule. So Sark has a big fix in front of him. And I, I would even watch out for Texas in week one when they play Louisiana Lafayette because, oh, yeah. you know, Louisiana beat Iowa State last year, who's in the preseason top 10 this season. Sark uh, has a lot of rebuilding to do, but I can't thank Sark enough for what he did for Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he he done a fantastic job. Really, really one of the best offensive coordinators that Alabama's has had in, in quite some time. And uh, the the way he was able to go from Tua to to Mac, who are kind of two different types of quarterbacks, and uh, both of them, you know, put up you know unbelievable numbers. So re- really amazing job by Sarkeesian. One last game, the the third weekend there, Auburn at Penn State. Got got to talk a little bit about the rival here. Uh, what what do, what do you fit? Penn State? I, I believe, and I, I'm not sure where I saw this or where I heard this, but they have like some of the most upperclassmen in all of college football returning this year, and uh, you know that 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 means that they've got you know Penn State recruits pretty good. That means they got a a lot of pretty good players coming back on their team that are veteran guys with experience. So uh, I expect them to be you know in the hunt there in the Big Ten. So that's going to be a really tough matchup for Auburn. Yeah, Penn State's going to be one of my dark horse playoff teams for that reason. Uh, none other than uh, Jim Nagy, who knows talent as well as anyone, the director of the Senior Bowl, longtime NFL scout. He says uh, in, in the Senior Bowl has a board that looks just like a, a draft board, right? I mean, that the Senior Bowl is already building, you know, a board for who they would invite to the Senior Bowl. And it's really big at this point. Of course, it shrinks as the summer and the fall move on. But uh, 
per Jim Nagy, Penn State has more players on their board than any school in college football. So that should tell us that they have the most draft eligible players being considered uh, for inclusion in the senior bowl. And uh, that should tell everybody a lot. Now, Ohio State and, and, and Wisconsin and, and Iowa, I mean, there's some good teams in the Big Ten, but Penn State, I think, is a great dark horse pick. And, and I think I, I think Penn State's likely to beat Auburn handily. Uh, well, I do think Auburn will be fairly good defensively uh, and probably kind of a middle-of-the-road SEC team. Um, I do think that uh, Auburn's problems on the offensive line and a wide receiver uh, will keep them out of a, of a 10-win type season, although I think Bo Nix is better than his biggest critics suggest, and Tank Bigsby's probably the best running back in the SEC. Agreed. Uh, but – uh, no help up front, no help outside, and a defense that's good but not good enough to pitch shutouts. So I, I think Auburn's looking at a six and six, seven and five type season, whereas Penn State, in my mind, is a legitimate contender to win the Big Ten and make the playoff. Yeah, hey, and before I, we're going to wrap it up here in just a minute, but uh, what what do you think about the TJ Finley transfer to Auburn, and you know how that kind of you know affects the Bo Nix and that Auburn offense? Well. A couple ways. I, now, I, th- I think uh, Bo is going to remain entrenched as the starter, and I think Bo will do well considering what's around him. I think Bo will play well and respond to Brian Harson, who uh, I'll just be honest, I, I think Brian Harson's a better quarterback coach than Gus in terms of developing a college quarterback. He's always had a good quarterback, even at Arkansas State and Boise, and recruited well at quarterback. He's kind of a quarterback guy. I think he'll improve Bo. Uh, T.J. Finley – Though, uh, based on his experience and his raw talent, I think now T.J. Finley is probably as good as any number two uh, in the SEC, certainly being the discussion among who are the better number two guys. Uh, T.J. would be up there. And, and if you're Bo and you're nervous is, hey, you know, last year or without T.J. Finley, Bo could play bad. What are you going to do? Put him on the bench and put in a, a true freshman or a walk-on? I mean, now Bo will have a legitimate option behind him. So you wonder how he might respond to that. I mean, knowing that, hey, this year benching Bo and giving someone else a shot's an option yeah. where it really wasn't uh, before T.J. Finley uh, committed to Auburn. So I think it's big for Auburn. It'll be interesting to see how Bo responds to it. But I think Bo's pretty good. I, myself, I don't really see T.J. as anything other than a, a good number two uh, at Auburn, and I, I still think it's going to be Bo's uh, Bo show. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think Bo is better than what – even maybe he's he's even performed throughout his career. Like you mentioned, I know he's had Seth Williams and Schwartz out wide, but, uh, I mean, you, you saw kind of where those guys were drafted at. It's not the, the type of talent that some of the other SEC teams have had out wide. Uh, Bigsby was just a freshman last year. Uh, we, we both agree he's probably the best running back in the SEC, and guys like Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M are also in that up there. Uh, but uh, I do think that Bo is better than what he's performed his first couple seasons there at Auburn, and, and I'm with you. I think Harson will, will get the most out of Bo uh, these next couple seasons, and Finley is just kind of there to maybe just push Bo a little bit. Uh, he's got some competition now. Like you mentioned, there hasn't really been any competition behind Bo, so he's just kind of been the guy. And, and, and we've known, you know, even before Bo, Gus really never developed a quarterback 
uh, in his time at Auburn. So uh, I think it's all, all around it's good for Bo, which is not good news for Alabama. I don't think they're a threat to Alabama this year uh, just because, like you said, up front, they're, they're not what they need to be along the offensive line or out wide. So they're not really offensively a threat uh, to some of the better teams in the SEC. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, you know, I think Harson was probably a pretty decent hire, especially considering all that was going on in their search. I think they ended up with a pretty good football coach, but the SEC is not a, not a place for pretty good football coaches and the right. SEC sort of have to be great or they're going to get somebody new. <laughs> and uh, it's just a, a, a tough league. That's why the league is so fun. And that's why every year, whoever wins the SEC is a, a more than legitimate threat to win the national championship. You win the SEC, you're the favorite, you know, to win the national championship. And uh, it's a tough league. Uh, it's going to take uh, some adjustment for Brian Harson to get used to. But I do think he will improve uh, Auburn's offense because I think he's going to be better developing quarterbacks than uh, than, than right. Gus. Yep. I, I agree 100%. All right, Jimmy, that's going to that's, that's gonna do it, man. Uh, real quick, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you at on social media and, and about your podcast. I know they're already listening, but go ahead and give, give your yeah. podcast a shout-out and, and all that good stuff. Well, I appreciate that, Stacey. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. You have a, a great podcast yourself. I mean, I, I look forward to, uh, to future shows from you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, just Jimmy Stein at uh, lowercase uh, QB underscore country. Uh, where I work uh, part-time for David Morris uh, and really enjoy that job and uh, help uh, help our high school quarterbacks get more exposure and more offers. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me. Uh, and uh, you can find me, my podcast, Locked on Bama with uh, Luke Robinson. We do uh, five days a week, 30 minutes a day. And uh, we, we like to say that we, uh, we even try to keep it entertaining during this uh, silly season, the offseason. We all do a great job. I really appreciate the time, Jimmy. Take care, and, and we look forward to having another conversation pretty soon. Anytime, Stacy. Thanks. Roll, roll Tide. Roll Tide. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.